Always trying to get this thing across That life's not me and you Dying on the cross, it's you and me With our hands together and the things we want to say We can say, I feel safe I can be all I want You relate to me and we could be everything How could I never see? That's the wrong question It's how am I gonna approach the days now that I've learned it's you and me, baby, up against the world Like I said, it's with the world, not against These are old patterns, baby This is that cultural shit Cause I'm trying to be better than my neighbors But I realize that I'm fine With what I got I'm fine right now I'm fine with And I'm fine with this beautiful mountainous gorgeous view Moo cow <laughs> I see you standing on the hill for now But I want to protect your world And I don't know what that looks like But I'ma try, let's do it together Good night, my love I've said enough And I'm finished now But I won't come down tonight No, I'm here to stay I'm here to just pray I'm here to see my own life unfold before our eyes. Thank you. <laughs> What's going on? You know the rest. People, welcome to the show, my friends. Welcome to episode 77. You know, I feel like I want to apologize for the hiatus. It's been about, I don't know, 11 days, 12 days since I've uploaded an episode. And it's like, I never have anyone to apologize to. But regardless of that, I've been feeling in a slump a little bit. And I think that feeling of wanting to apologize for a stretch of, let's just call it two weeks, where I haven't felt in the mood to jump in and record this little intro of an amazing conversation with Lane and Carly that I've been sitting on. We had a few weeks back. And here it is time to release this amazing conversation naturally flowed we talk about it in our conversation who knows where we're gonna go but leading with authenticity and being able to draw out so many stories and thoughts and ideas 
from ourselves and from each other uh, is an amazing way to spend a couple hours. That's part of what I love about this podcast. That's part of what I've loved about having both Lane and Carly on the podcast previously. And our first trio episode, I believe. So, hope you enjoy. There's not much else to say. It speaks for itself. Let's do it. One of my favorite conversations, once again. Yay! Hi. Hi, Carly. Hi, Lane. Hi, Wes. Oh, I'm good. I'm, I'm excited to chat with you both. As are we. I actually was just like reading some of my favorite snippets aloud while we were waiting from your essay. Oh, cool. Yeah. I'd love to hear, I'd love to hear one that stood out to you, if you don't mind. Yeah, well, I, I think I might, I want to get to the poem at the end, which I think is my favorite. Mm. I was just reading was um, the like how wonder allows for let's see and oh my gosh we've just been gushing over this because of how it seems to connect to this side of playing in the unknown that like is exactly like what Lane and I are are uncovering in our lives right now um amazing uh yeah, what was I just reading? Here it is. Um, this one is so cool. This is uh, this is exactly like what I think isn't taught, which is in order for the students and teachers to transform and be transformed, a curriculum needs to have the right amount of indeterminacy, anomaly, inefficiency, chaos, disequilibrium, dissipation, lived experience. And what's the right amount for the curriculum to be provocatively generative without losing form or shape? And I think that was a quote from um, Dahl, but yeah, I, I think it's like mm. even putting together, I love the idea of how are we mapping our understanding of ourselves and in the same boat through that process it's also mapping part of our environment and our relationships i think and that it seems to me that the traditional way of doing it is like with certainty and with determinacy that that's kind of like you know as this podcast talks about our relationship to learning and how that's changing like opening ourselves up and seeking out the stuff that's in flux, the stuff that's changing, that feels uncomfortable, that's unbalanced, that feels chaotic. And that's like what we can be striving for in a way. Yeah, it's, it's really seeing that the unknown and the known, they're always in the stance. And that our experience is right at the edge of those two. And 
so much of learning is we decide learning only happens in these places and under these conditions and in these times, but we're always learning. But deep learning does need us to pause and reflect. And, and uh, you know, if we have lived experience, it doesn't need us to know. It's different. It's like showing up for something isn't knowing it. Yeah. I'm so glad that you, I, I sent that to you because I had a feeling with this whole theme of never stop learning and um, just finding your path um, and how that's always changing uh, and uh, hearing you and Lane talk with each other about this too, in particular, when I was listening to one of your episodes where you were talking together, just, uh, I really, um, I just thought this might be the, yeah, the right thing to share with you. And for the listeners who are like, what are they talking about? It was an article about um, this program I developed called the Dream Job Academy um, that was meant to help people build up the skills that we need all throughout our life for those points in our life where we are not sure where we're going next. Um, and I used, you know, it was within the context of career development and career exploration. But for me, the idea of career is much bigger than just what you get a paycheck for. It's sort of who you are in the world. Hopefully it can complement with what you get a paycheck for or, or um, you know, collaborate, yeah, work along with that. But this idea of career being a lot bigger than that or that being happy in our careers is about finding where we fit in, where, who we are, who we really authentically are, where our passion, where our curiosity meet and, and where our sense of purpose comes from. And those all sound like really big, deep things, but everybody, everybody does connect with those in some way or other every day. And so what we were trying to do with that program is give people habits and practices and a bit of a community to work together um, where we could, everyone could have their own sort of toolkit so that when they have to take time and reflect, who am I, what do I wanna do? What do I wanna bring to this world? Am I on the right path? What kind of approach do I need to take as I continue to explore and find my path? Um, we wanted people to be able to have a bit of community to work together on that and some tools. And so this um, essay that I gave you was the write-up I did about that program after running it, um, some of the lessons and some of the sources of inspiration. Awesome. It definitely fits right in the idea of not like approaching kind of the cartographical state or stage perhaps out of this like desire to like finalize our map. And then you have this static place where you've discovered everything and now you know how to navigate, but rather like you just said, yeah. help us figure out what tools do we actually have and how can, you know, the direction that Lane and I are going in is, is, is a lot about how we set up our lives with our relationships and with love and with kind of expanding the, the likely traditional view of literally like a, the traditional familial unit of, mm 
uh, a married couple kind of using that particular dualistic partnership as the main cultural vehicle towards family and connection and love. And that right out, and here's the perfect time. I wanna just read this essay and then we can keep, keep moving or the poem that you sure. read. Because we have this exciting new unknown that we're hoping to really help ourselves develop our own toolkits, figure out what we actually are capable of, what gives us joy, where can we find love. And so this feels like you were talking directly to us. I want to read it. Here we go. Open your eyes and demystify the worlds that reside in your dreams where they hide. Never mind if they're silly, bizarre, or insane, for you'll find that you're willing to explore just the same. But remember, my friend, the goal is to flow, not to measure, to name, to own, or to know. So question your fears, leave them all at the door, embrace the unknown, and prepare to explore. Beautiful words. Mm. I'm kind of crying here just listening to you read it. It's so it's funny. Sometimes you can write something, but it's not really yours. It's just, you know, you just are the person who helped to bring it into the world. Yeah. And so when it bumps up, when it bumps up against you later, it has something for you. And uh, it's just, and I wrote that a really long time ago. It's become like a life mantra. Um, and I, I've come back to it many times. Oh, I'm so glad it felt like it was speaking to you both. Yeah, this... I'm especially in this place right now. Like even this talk right now today is like medicine for me because mm -hmm. I, a few months ago, I, I was in this like great, beautiful, like awakening space, like when I first met Wes and just like a few things have happened in my life. And now I'm like kind of struggling more with sobriety and struggling more with like my eating disorder. And so I feel like there are these like layers of blankets on me and my spirit lately. Mm. And like hearing the words not to measure, to name, to own or to know, like the flow has gone in the back on the back burner. And like, I've been like mm. measured trying to name because if you want to beat, you know, when you want to beat something, you want to fix something, you want to, you know, whatever, like you're, you want to measure it, you want to like know what it is, yeah. maybe own it or, or discard it. And like, I've been in this, like a bit of a struggle mode and a lack of presence like there's so many beautiful things around me in my life and it's like my aesthetic sense can see that and I'm such a visual person I'm such like a person who is drawn to aesthetics and I can see all of the ways in which my life looks the way I've always wanted it to look and but my interior doesn't reflect how I imagined I might feel and so I'm like grappling with like what what is how can I be here now? How can I just be in the flow without worrying about like the work I have to do on Monday and the ways in which I am 
kind of laying under these blankets in order to feel safe when safety is just like an illusion and like I was in this place of just kind of like even measuring how I felt versus how I feel now it's like takes me out of this flow of just whatever is present right now thank you so much for sharing that lane and I, I wanted to say hello friend I'm there with you I feel <laughs> like the way you describe the way you describe um like objectively looking and saying this is the life I dreamed for this is this is a good life it, it's because you're living in gratitude and it's because you are man we're manifesting things um but then there's also i and i feel that same gratitude and i can see things that i have manifested were manifested but i also have the same feeling of just at times <clears throat> feeling removed from it feeling like the struggle feeling like why am i not appreciating this or as happy as i thought i would be or why is it still hard and i think um you know you expressed it so well it helps me actually feel a more awareness of that feeling too an acceptance of it to some extent too because i do and i, I have to admit so i uh, not that it's something to admit but just to pull in other mediums like i before our conversation i thought i'm going to go look at some of their tiktoks and just check in how that where they're at and i so i i, I saw one of yours lane where you were sort of talking about this and the same sort of sense and then in an earlier episode, I know this is so meta, <laughs> Wes, I could hear you talking about similarly, um, just feeling, it, it sounded like a similar sort of sentiment of how do I, you know, embrace what is around me right now? That's not, um, you know, it's what I wanted. And I, I was having this experience, I take this dance class um, once a week, where we move and we write, we take breaks back and forth. And our facilitator, I work as her sort of support person. So I help set things up every session. And I, I, I'm a very active participant and, and I talk with her about sort of the curriculum that we're gonna do. So um, I've been doing this for a couple of years now. And I always get these thoughts while I'm moving because we're writing and then moving and writing and moving. And it's a way of processing stuff and those words from y'all like from you both kind of came to me while i was dancing and one of the images that came to me this is going to sound like a strange metaphor but, but come with me for the ride um i was thinking about um painting because i i have young children my mom's a, a painter we i paint with my kids and um i've got nice paints thankfully because of my mom and when we set up the palette, we always pick our favorite colors, but then we always put like a black or a deep, deep purple and a white or sort of like a creamy iridescent, like something really dark and something really light. Because the, no matter how much we love those colors that we've chosen on our palette, if we don't have the dark and light to make in, mix in with them, it's just not as interesting. Mm. It's just not. And I love to, on my brush, put like a dab of the color, maybe a dab of two colors, and then get a dab of the light or the dark. And then just smear it across the page. Not go back and forth, because then you just get soup. Mm -hmm. But to just spread it and see what comes out. 
and it's sort of the sense of discovery. You don't feel like I'm a painter. I made this. You're like, I'm witnessing this happy accident. Um, and there's always beautiful colors and you get these great, like, you know, if I did teal, I get this gradation from the dark teal to the lighter teal and there's so much more to it. And then when I was dancing today and just thinking about this um, feeling of, wow, I'm living this life I, I love in so many ways, but it's hard or I don't feel connected to it or I'm suffering. And it just made me think, hmm, I think, it, you know, we're like that stroke of, uh, of the brush with all those different shades in it. And it's beautiful when you step back. Um, and it's beautiful because it's not only one thing or the other, it's them all together. So if I'm struggling with the, the experience of it, um, maybe that's where my work has to be, not necessarily changing my life entirely, um, but, and it, and it can seem just as simple as, okay, so maybe I just need to meditate more or just take a break and journal so I can sit with the feelings. Um, and maybe that'll help me just accept this life with its darks and its lights, with its, um, you know, because it's like sometimes I would try to overwork it and then I do, I know I'm really going with this metaphor, but I do end up with just a soupy color because I've tried to mix it all together too much. Um, yeah, I, um, I see that as like me bringing that to here right now, like exactly what I'm struggling with is a taking it out of the dark because I have a tendency to just want to be, want to sweep the darkness back into the darkness. Cause I'm like, it doesn't feel mm. good to feel it. And I mm -hmm. know feel what I need to feel, but I'm like, how, how, how long do I need to steep in the, the darkness? And so it's almost like taking all of the things that are feeling very heavy and bringing them into the light, bringing them into this conversation with you and with Wes, with people who I know care for me. Like it's, mm -hmm. it's alchemy. It's like this taking this thing that's like shameful and heavy and like taking all of its power and turning it in, into something else. Hmm. Can I ask, um, like I love, I love, I love, hearing you talk about shame um, and it, from previous conversations I've heard. But I'm curious in this instance, why is there shame around having the darkness? Mm. If that's not too personal to ask. No, not too personal at all. And it makes me think, because um, to me it's obvious. I'm like, I see as though like these things make me bad like these things that mm. these habits that I have that I that are you know that I'm seeing them I'm seeing them as things that are holding me back from my potential or things that are keeping me from being as happy as I want to be and so there's shame that I have like covering all of them that's like if I could just release them then then I would be happy and so that's like that's even built on a lie and that's like where that shame is really yeah. it's just like these are the things that are blocking me from from freedom and blocking me from a sense of like power and even even just saying that it's like that's not even true like I, I can have these things that are 
heavy and carry them with me. Like I can still, I can bring them into the light. I can take them here. And that's what gives, that's what gives us substance. Like that's what gives us like mm-hmm. something to the contrast, you know, like your painting. It's so human to want to escape it, right? It's so human to be like, I would rather do the fun thing or I'd like to feel happy, please. (laughs) And so, and I think we live in a time that has more opportunity for distraction than probably any generation before us. Um, Yeah. And and I, I mean, I just, I'm hearing you talk and I'm thinking of the things in my life that feel like that. And I totally get it. I'm like, yeah, well, yeah, well, it's okay. I feel ashamed about those things, but that's because it's mine. But when Lane's describing about it, she shouldn't, she doesn't need to feel any shame. She's this human. And it's like, well, wait a minute. Why, why we are so much more generous to other people than to ourselves. I think a lot with this. Um, and we forget that everybody has those things. They're just different. You know, I was thinking about mine before I called you guys because, or before we, we connected here, um, I still don't have a driver's license right now and I'm living in the woods and I need one and I've, I've grown up in an urban environment riding my bike and taking the subway and walking and not needing it and then I've, I've you know through a series of choices I've, I've just kept avoiding it um, and I'm scared um, and I, I really am and yeah. I'm trying to work through that and I feel so ashamed because I think oh my gosh I'm I'm a full-fledged grown-up and I have kids and I should be able to do this thing um and but I'm still working through it and uh, the only reason I have a test booked at all is because I was thinking okay what like what are the top things that I just feel the most heaviness around I wish they would just go away <laughs> maybe I'll try like <laughs> And that was what, that was one of the top ones. And, um, and yet, you know, if I know so many people who drive for joy, who drive, you know, I think of West, like you're driving around doing DoorDash, like it, it's probably just feels, I can imagine, I would love to feel that confidence behind the wheel. Um, And then, you know, there's, I think, for example, if you put me in front to do public speaking, there's no number of people I wouldn't be comfortable speaking in front of. Yeah. I get nervous, but I would totally be able to do it. And yet I know lots of people who wouldn't dare do public speaking, but they can drive. Like we all have different things that terrify us. Um, and I guess that's why we need each other too, right? <laughs> so that- we don't have to do all the things like in this big life um, or be amazing at all the things. It doesn't mean I'm still not going to try um, for this driving thing, but yeah, totally. And it's also not silly at all to be afraid of something like this because we're, we're almost like conditioned as teenagers to, to normalize driving this huge vehicle completely on our own. Like with, like it's this, thing that travels at like 80 miles an hour yeah. like, just like breaking that down like of course like that's intimidating and like we're we just we all just do it because we're almost indoctrinated at a very young age like yeah you're gonna do this like you're 16 you, we're gonna teach you and then you're gonna go do it but it's like it's a big undertaking to learn how to like yeah. <laughs> drive a car 
Yeah, it's And like, I think if life has knocked you down a few times, like, you know, I've had cancer when I was young, um, and I've, I've, I've had friends in accidents that have, have been life-changing, and it's like, it can humble you, and uh, it's almost, I wish I'd kind of learned how to do it when I was feeling more confident and cocky about my immortality. Right, yeah. But what other things are like that? I, I mean... I'm sorry, I didn't mean to interrupt you, Wes. What were you gonna what were you gonna say? Um, let's see. I I think just how like that's it's such a good like metaphor to lead into like the way that the things around us are are like framed by the things around us. Like you know, like my suburban Iowa small city in the suburbs experience was like cars are like streets are what the world is like the mm. bus is for poor people in my town like that I drive I started driving when I was 14 13 by myself wow. with a like a drive to school only permit. And like, wow. really that, okay, the majority of people maybe that I grew up with, perhaps we could even maybe say Americans, would, are just taking this structure of our environment as the state of just what it is. And like, I drive, like, what you're an adult you don't have a license like i know so many people who would kind of be like shocked not out of any like you know judging but just that we can't fathom it sometimes yeah Yeah. i'm so grateful to have traveled so much so far in my life to have seen all of the ways that we literally are indoctrinated by a car culture. Like yeah. that that's not just what life is. Like, you know, big oil, right, has paved over the land for their profit. You know, like it it, it really reminds me of like almost what like what you were saying, we watched your culture jamming short ten minute oh, yeah. documentary. And you're just kind of like, hello, people. Like, you are being, like, propagandized as you walk to work every day. Like, let's try to wake up. Like, slapping a sticker on the the bus advert is like, uh, people are like, that's wrong. That, like, shakes me out of the norm. Sorry, I just had a phone call. Um, oh. It shook you out of the norm. Yeah. Just like you were saying. Wow. Oh, wow. <laughs> and. But yeah, I think that I th- it's like that interrupt, uh, trying to interrupt, trying to see things differently. I think that's partly, to be honest, why, you know, I was fortunate, A, living right on the subway and having a good, clean, safe subway system. Um, and I'd be able to bike everywhere where I grew up um, in Toronto. But also, 
I, I was very, I was in the counterculture and I was looking at the environment and looking at not just that cars pollute, but what does it make you feel about the world around you that you can master it? And we would do um, critical mass bike rides where there'd be hundreds of bikes riding all together and taking up space on the roads and, um, you know, often in costume or with music. And it was about, it was an act of resistance and it was a celebration of non-polluting transportation. But what ended up happening is you'd see how mad people would get in their cars yeah. and all the bikes. And the, people would throw stuff at us sometimes. Like a guy threw a peach at my boob once and it hurt. <laughs> And I just thought I could see them from this perspective and just think you are used to controlling the way you move and being able to go at a certain speed and we're not what you expected. And it just gave me this other, um, yeah, real different lesson about car culture. And I'm glad I had that. But I think that like many things, like it, I've also, or kind of even like what Lane, we were saying about how like shoving something into the darkness. Like I, I'm, I, I need to still have a relationship with that somehow. I can be critical of it, but I still want to have that skill so I could take my kids to the hospital if I needed to. Right. Um, yeah. So it's like, um, it's, I, and I think even for example, with COVID we're living, um, you know, there's so many different ways to live in, depending on where you are in the world and your situation. Um, and of my, of all my friends and community, I'm probably living the most isolated um, sort of cautious life right now. And I'm really hoping it doesn't last forever, but we voluntarily have done this because I'm immune compromised because we have the opportunity to be in the woods with the kids. And we think um, this might be the best place for them to be living and learning. Um, and, but it's what we, I was just talking about this with my husband, like we're planning for returning to the world more. And right now it's been such a clear divide of like, well, we just pick up our groceries and we don't go places. <laughs> and we spend all our time in the woods uh, and we have a small, very small bubble. Uh, and that's worked. And has the rules where we are have changed and the closes, schools have closed and opened and you've been able to go in places or not go in places. We've just kept doing the same thing and it hasn't been as disruptive. It's been easy um, in a way because once we established a life where that could work, it could work. And I recognize we're very privileged to be able to do that. But when we transition back, that's when it's going to be a million decisions all the time instead of just one big decision. And that's about a more complicated relationship and it won't be easy but it'll have freedom. It'll come with freedom and it'll come with connection and uh, opportunities and stuff. So yeah, I'm just even thinking of that as a metaphor that sometimes we can take something and just make a firm rule and, uh, and that can make it seem like it makes life simpler. Um, but we're actually here to have these more complex relationships with everything right. <laughs> and uh, can't just be the good, uh, it can't be we can't be happy all the time. It can't be the good all the time. There's also the struggle and uh, they're interwoven. Yeah, it, it really makes me think about, I've, I've been, I'm stuck on the vision of like the, the huge group of bicycles taking up the mm -hmm. road 
you know, and thinking about the way that that like it interrupts the autopilot of the people in the pathway, right? Like it's like mm -hmm. seeing the guy throwing shit at a group of bikers. It's like, what what is this person doing with an unnotable commute? Like just nothing, just kind of living in that type of normality. And I think that's, you know, Lane and I just kind of mentioned watching the the little documentary that like part of like taking like taking part and not just submitting yourself to you know the advertisers and the corporations and saying well this is our way of having a voice and I was like yeah you know that's basically like social media now yes yes you know but like go on yeah, I, I was just gonna say, but it's like, it's become also the the same place that it's like Capital One has a Twitter account too, you know, like, yeah. what? Yeah. And so it's like, I think there is a, an aspect where that previous, you know, rebellious action, now someone with the exact same mindset, perhaps feels like they're doing something but it's just now it's it's lost in the ecosphere of the apps and that i still think it it, it almost makes me think about the power of something like culture jamming might even have a stronger more potent hit on the people that see it now because everyone feels a little bit more like we do have voices and and opportunities to to put our perspective out into some type of community online you know so i don't know what i'm trying to say but it's almost like i, I love what you're saying go on go on Lee. sorry just like the um the saturation of connection that we have through the internet like more and more and more and more connection it like on the other side of it it's, it leaves us less connected because it's like slapping a sticker on, on an ad to the people around you is a lot more impactful than than just shouting into the void on twitter like tweeting at a corporation like it is so it feels so much more disconnected than like physically doing something with your body in in physical reality mm. like there's such a difference like, because it's, like, you gave us so much connection to internet that it's, like, it almost cheapens or trivializes, like, a lot of the connection that there is. Because it's, like, literally just this oversaturation of, like, it's, like, people take for granted the connection that we now have because they're so, it's constant. You know, I, you're making me remember a poem that I wrote. And can I tell you a line from it? Mm -hmm. goes the saturated self overwhelmed by stimulation the only way out is to follow inspiration mm -hmm. the best defense against the barrage is to commence a culture collage and I wrote that because I was thinking about just kind of like what you're saying about how we're also we're just saturated in all of this connection and information and um 
how do we, what's the way out? And I talk about a culture collage because I think that's when you take a piece from here and a piece from there and a piece from there and you weave it together and you think about weaving, that's like an art form that's been around for ages. Um, that's how we make so many, we just weave things together. And um, even in this, you know, world of apps and social media and constant uh, information and attention grabbing, like we have to still weave something together and we have to weave with what's in our environment. And it used to be more of a physical environment and now it's, we're in both, we're in these two worlds, we're in the virtual environment and the physical environment. Um, but I'm so glad that you said, that you brought that up, that example. And by the way, the documentary is called Culture Jam. Um, uh, just for the listeners, if they're curious, uh, but and it's on YouTube, <laughs> and you can maybe even put the link in my bio. Yeah, yeah. Um, <laughs> it's just it's funny even saying that. But anyway, um, uh -huh. I was so excited to share that with you because you know one of the reasons I think I've really gravitated to you both. Um, I mean, I think there's a lot of them. There's just a there's a we have a vibe, right? I would say we're in tune with each other and I'm talking about a lot of the similar things, but we're also in different phases of our lives too. And um, I, I, I often feel like I'm an elder in training for one day. And that's kind of, I, I think the vibe of the podcast a lot of the time too. Because <laughs> um, yeah. that's how, you know, and, and this idea of coaching each other, uh, it, that everybody, we all can coach each other. And uh, we all can be sort of elders to each other in different ways. Um, but when it comes to technology, so much has changed in my lifetime. And when I first started making media, I was photocopying zines um, using the photocopier at my public school or my dad's work, and then leaving them around in record shops like and in cafes and stuff and giving them to people when they were traveling and going to zine festivals. Um, and when I started to do culture jamming, the main way that I saw advertising was on television because I watched television and was on billboards. And because I took public transit and walked around a lot, like it was in the subways, it was on the bus stops, um, it was coming into schools. But uh, the internet like happened while I was a teenager to me and I watched. Uh, and so a lot of these things that I'm saying in the culture jam documentary, which incidentally, by the way, is used in Canada was used all across the country in schools as a teaching resource about media literacy. So I became this kind of mini celebrity um, in, in, in that weird way, in, in Canada at least. <laughs> and so a lot of times like there's even students who did school projects on it, which I love. And I got to visit a lot of schools and talk to students about culture jamming and critical thinking and um, you know, uh, creating their own media but I don't even really know what to do now with some of those ideas that came up in there because uh, in the time in between, it, things have changed so much. And I also have ducked down for a while and come back up. You know, like I, when I had cancer, I had to sort of step out when I had my young kids and early motherhood. So it, even sometimes in just a few years, I'll come back to the world in a different way. And, I'll say, and suddenly we're all communicating a different way. And what's possible, you know, I used to dream about being a media producer 
and I wanted to borrow the cam the VCR camera from my school so I could film something on the weekend. And now my phone can do something way better than that. I can, um, we're, and we're doing this podcast on it. And I, you know, I'm living here with my kids in the woods, but we've got basically a media studio at their fingertips. Yeah. And it sort of blows my mind. And I kept, you know, ranting when I was young, like we, everyone needs to make their own media and we need to all have our own voices because there's just some main um, sources of all the stories, but that's changed. But like you're saying, what's like, it's, it hasn't, it hasn't. It's like the colonizing force of capitalism is like found its way. Um, it's it's, it's going to show up. Um, and I remember one time in Toronto, like just to give you a little nugget of a vignette uh, for this co-opting kind of the way capitalism just uh, colonizes things. We have this neighborhood in Toronto called Kensington Market. And it's, I love it. And it's, it's a market where you can get fresh food but there's also stores that sell secondhand clothes and records and stuff. And it's been around um, for many generations. It started out as always the neighborhood where the immigrants to the city could get affordable housing together and support each other. And so there was different waves. So there was like a bunch of Chinese immigrants, there was Jewish immigrants, then there's Japanese immigrants and Jamaican and Italian. And it's just what's happened in the neighborhood is it, they just built on top of each other. So you, you have those mixing of all those cultures together and in the food markets to go get food, um, you know, to be Chinese grocers or there'd be Jewish um, bakeries or just whatever. And, and then all the draft dodgers came from the States during the Vietnam War, um, Americans who didn't want to fight who escaped to Canada. And they all lived in that neighborhood too. Cause again, it was affordable sort of where the, the hippies were and so that neighborhood continues to be vibrant and creative and fun, and I love it. Um, and I used to work in a secondhand clothing store there for many years. Um, so I got to really just like feel the energy of that neighborhood. And so why am I telling you about that neighborhood? Well, Nike one time, as part of its campaign, um, bought, uh, rented a place, like a storefront there, and turned it into a gallery called Presto, and didn't tell anybody that it was run by Nike. And this is before they launched a shoe called Presto. And then they hired graffiti artists to go around the city and spray paint Presto in tags. And so you just felt like, oh, Presto is this new gallery opening in Kensington, which is the heart of independent culture in the city. And, you know, it's like the anarchist bookstore over there and that record shop and that vintage clothing store and all the lots of co like all the art students live there because the art school is nearby and the university is nearby so it's and then nobody knew that this gallery is run by nike until just before it's opening night and and the plan is for them that their, their plan was to have people come to the show and launch the shoes <laughs> amongst art and then take our pictures and have us be part of the ad campaign Jeez. um wow yeah and so people found out and they organized actually a counter festival on the street outside that same night. And we called it Opresto. <laughs> and people did, you know, street theater and people were dancing, people were doing graffiti, people were, uh, but it was all about the way that independent culture was being co-opted to sell. Wow. And I went around in this persona pretending I was a cool hunter, which is a job that used to exist. I don't know if you've heard of that, but Cool Hunter is the idea. This, it's so much, you don't even need a Cool Hunter now because of the way social media works. You can just see who has the most likes 
and tar and, and then approach them for a branding opportunity that's influencers. But cool hunters used to be people who worked in marketing who would look for cool people who were doing innovative stuff, um, who were sort of early adopters or inventors. And, and then they would take pictures of them or do quick videos and, and package it together and then sell what they found, like their anthropological findings kind of to corporations who were doing advertising. So, you know, Coca-Cola would have cool hunters and then they'd come back and they'd say, okay, so this is what they should wear. This is the music we should use. And, oh, there's a certain thing that people are doing with, I don't like fashion wise or um, what, like, you know, some kind of cultural product uh they, that they'd be they'd be mining for that among independent culture makers and not paying them for it really hmm. um but just commodifying it uh and so that whole that was i was pretending i was that so i was going around to people but being very transparent and saying hi i'm a cool hunter here's my business card i just basically want to find out what's cool about you and commodify it and sell it to, to other people um as a brand <laughs> and can i take your picture and can i do that and I had this fake contract that they would sign where they'd sign over, um, you know, their, their whole self to this cool hunter. And uh, I was just thinking about that the other day because uh, I don't even know, like, like I said, we don't, that, that job doesn't exist because now people are just begging to be hunted um, sometimes. Oh, just, oh yeah. Yeah. And, but not, but because that, that's, that's how they'll, at least I guess that's how they'll get paid because before the people weren't getting paid. It was somebody, it was the person who found it and co-opted it, but still, um, I just, uh, yeah, I, I find myself stumped about some of this or curious, um, but it's, uh, I don't know exactly what to be, how to be a culture jammer right now. I'd like to figure that out. I'd like to revisit that. Yeah. That's really interesting because it made me think about like the, I guess like the idea that I think we've had about how we might grow our podcast to potentially make money from advertisers. Mm -hmm. Not that that's mm -hmm. something we're like desiring, mm -hmm. but it's like that idea of exactly what you just said becoming huntable mm -hmm. so yeah. as to cash in on something that's real and yet also just it's like ah oh, what a weird goal it's like is that my actual goal and it's yeah it's so interesting when you talk about like nike was just like under the table probably hiring graffiti artists who wanted some yeah money and are gonna just do it because they need to eat like mm -hmm. and that's yeah it's like using the the hands of the people for whom the agenda is not for to make that happen yeah just because you have money and it's and i think uh, you, 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 of course you want a, I think there's two different goals, probably at least. One is finding community and building community, because mm -hmm. if you're building community around the values that you 
are already demonstrating, you know, like learning yeah. and love and personal growth. I mean, that's my, my first impression is like mm -hmm. building a community around those things. That's a really good, meaningful thing to do in your life. Um, and then if you can also be doing that in a way where you create resources for yourself to support yourself, then that seems that's healthy and beautiful. And I wish you all the best. In that. And I, I also um, have a lot of faith that that's going to work out for you. Um, I will say, I think the model for how to do it is something you'll have to experiment with. And I think everyone is right now because it's like, I, and I've been in conversations where people say, yeah, advertising is the way to go and just find advertisers who, who get you, who you support. And right. then you're just creating a bigger, stronger community. Um, and, and then I've heard other people say, no, skip advertising, get subscriptions. Yeah. Um, and, you know, sometimes I, I, and I love Clubhouse and I love Green Room because I love people and hearing people talk and, and, and the kind of live improvisational conversations that could happen there. But I saw very quickly how both those spaces, and for anyone who, a listener who doesn't know what those are, they're social audio apps where people can talk with each other and live conversations and um, about all kinds of topics. And, but what I found is, you know, so many of the conversations were, how can we capitalize off this? How can we market, how can, and it was, you know, really directed at people who work in marketing um, and how can you market yourself and how can you make money here? and on one hand, I love seeing, even, even though I'm very critical of capitalism and the marketing of everything, I love seeing people teach each other stuff and try to come together in a new arena and say, okay, how do we work here? That's great. But there's more to life than marketing. There's the, con there's the heart of the content that is, is what the marketers are all hunting. And that heart is our hearts. And that's like what we care about. And, um, you know, it's always, these technologies are always fueled by capitalism. And yet the thing that makes them interesting, that makes us all show up is, 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 is love, is people, is the want, the desire to create with each other and heal and connect with each other. Um, you know, there's also the lizard brain stuff, but some of that, some of that's pretty good too. Um, I know I'm, I'm kind of just uh, <laughs> ranting on this, but I, yeah, I, I think, I think the potential that we have for what we could do, and when I say we, I mean humanity, I'm just speaking really broadly here, but like there's so much we can do still. There's just so much. And right now the tools to do it, they're still very, they're still controlled by very few. And it still keeps bending towards um, consumerism. Uh, and, and maybe it's gonna keep doing that and we just have to work around it and work with it and work against it when necessary. But I, I, I'm still such a dreamer that I like to think, wow, in my lifetime, look how much things have changed. Um, what, could, what potential do we have? And how could we uh, work together and learn together and never stop learning in ways that we haven't before, you know? Yeah. I was just thinking about how I, growing up kind of alongside the um, rise of influencers and in internet culture, mm -hmm. I, as someone who wanted to work in media, I studied 
visual media studies in college. I wanted to make videos. I wanted to, I wasn't exactly sure why. And now I realize I just wanted to connect. Like I, I loved YouTube and I loved the way that people had their own voice and how they could talk very intimately about mm-hmm. very private parts of their lives. And I was really attracted to that because I wanted to also be seen and heard. But it's almost as though I was co-opted as well by, okay, if I want to have a job in media, if I want to have a job in video production, a friend of mine told me that I need to brand myself. And a lot of the culture told me that I need to brand myself, figure out what my my brand is um, as a person. And I think coming out of, of that mindset, like literally just like probably two years ago being like wait a second I'm a, I'm, I'm a person and like I can't I can't uh, you know slap a color and be like this is my color scheme as Lane this is my font this is my mm-hmm. like, realizing that like I really that stifles my growth and that stifles my flow as an inspired living breathing human being because I'm not a brand, I'm like just going to be someone who keeps growing. And I just thought about how that is just, I'm grateful that I don't see um, the value in branding myself. Like I see it as such a, such an, such a capitalistic idea and I see the use in it. Like I see like people see you and they see your set of skills and they see what you have to offer. And it's easy to digest for the general public because I just wanted to be liked. And I realize now that like, if I can give people a set of, uh, if I can give people a brand, which is like a, just a set of, of things that I am, then I'll be able to make enough money to support myself and be popular enough. I'll be popular, which I've re- <laughs> learned recently that popularity <laughs> is so different from actual genuine connection. And yeah, it's just, that's, that's the way in which my life has changed from a, like a more of a selfish, like, I want everybody to know who I am and simultaneously isolating myself because people can't, I have this like plexiglass, like, this is who I am while not letting anybody actually into the flowing human being that I actually am. And so the past few, the past year, two years have been just a stripping down of like all of the boxes that I put myself in that have been like, this is what I am. These are my skills. This is what's in my bios for all of my internet things. And even showing up to this, this conversation today, I had to be like, I had to remind myself that I don't have to be any more knowledgeable or like any different than what I am and what I have to bring today because I've always just been a really good masker I've been a really good at like saying all the right things I'm like teacher's pet like I'm really good at just like showing up wearing the mask that people expect me to have people pleasing people pleasing for sure and just giving myself the freedom to say what is the most (laughs) truthful and the most authentic and the most vulnerable is a is what my gift is now me being like oh I'm so sensitive I'm so whatever these things that I thought were a detriment 
are the flip side of them is that I, it's like a really cool thing that I want to be so open and vulnerable and honest. Yeah. It really is a gift and you really do have it. I wanted to tell you that when we came to the conversation because uh, I, I, and, and you both, it's, you both have a different way of having this gift, but it's the ability to really show up and be authentic to yourself and to others in the moment. And um, that's a real beautiful skill. And it is kind of like freestyle. Um, and, you know, and I think I, I, watching Lane, watching some of your TikToks recently, I just thought it's something I really admire about you is just the way you can just talk to the, the person who's watching and don't necessarily know exactly who they are. Um, and it's because you're showing up for yourself. And um, there's a certain comfort to that that you have that's really, really beautiful. And uh, yeah, I really appreciated it. And I think, and, it, and similarly, Wes, like when you're talking in your podcast um, or when you're freestyling, um, it's sort of like this, there's this truth serum. Um, and so you have to be accepting yourself and you're just going in the moment. And it's, it's a nice thing to be around when someone is, um, welcoming all the parts of themselves, right? Uh, because then it like potentially makes the listener think, oh, maybe different parts of myself are okay too. <laughs> maybe they can yeah. also show up. And they're also seeing an example of how to treat yourself when you're doing that um, kindly, you know, not perfectly, no one, none of us are, but just with curiosity and with kindness. And, um, yeah, so I think those are, you know, I, I'm trying to remember, what was the, the shame tamers was your, was your name? Yeah. And I loved that. And when I heard you guys saying that in the, in the podcast, I was just taking notes thinking, oh, when I talk to them, one of the things I want to talk to them about is like the superhero makeovers that I used to do with people where I would help them name their superpowers. because Maybe I can help them name their superpowers. And then there you went ahead, you'd already done it. Um, <laughs> and that's so beautiful. And I think, um, yeah, that is definitely powers that you have in the world. And I'm, I'm, I'm so interested, Lane, hearing you describe sort of your evolution with um, YouTube and, and just presenting yourself and this idea of branding. And I think you're right on it with this idea that just keep showing up as yourself and that person is changing. It's like, you don't need to know to own, <laughs> you know, it can just flow. Uh, and that, it, that you're gifted at that too. So keep doing that. And I would say, you know, this idea of branding, if you go back to this, like, where does the word actually come from? It's like burning the logo of the farmer on the cattle uh, to say that belongs to me. And I think, I'm sure there's a way to reclaim that and have that be cool, but I just think, Okay, so that's maybe one approach of branding and of, of putting your name out there in the world. And that's about belonging and being an object, being a product to be consumed. And there's still something like the, the in university, the, the subject that I uh, specialized in was called semiotics, which is the study of signs and symbols and communication and meaning making. And I just liked it because I could, it was very interdisciplinary and I could take a lot of different subjects and it all still counted towards it. But this idea of semiotics, it's like how we communicate in the world. And so 
and tell our story. And I think, um, you know, being told, especially as a young woman, like, oh, you have to market yourself, you have to market yourself. There's so many messages in the world and not just for young women, for everybody that say, yeah, package yourself, market yourself. And it would be hard not to think that's what you have to do to survive and that that's what's expected. Um, and I think shifting to storying yourself, like telling your story and being curious about your story and knowing yourself, that is um, a lot of the same instincts and the same skills. It's just different than branding because it, the purpose is maybe more, mm. um, yeah, like not just about commerce, right. but about connection with the hope that, you know, that this, there can still... I'm not in denial that we need some commerce. Um, but I think actually our disconnection makes us need more. If we were more connected, we wouldn't need as much. And commerce is not our purpose. Like, yeah. Whereas like growing up and like being shuffled off to college, they're like, figure out how you're going to be yeah. commerce, <laughs> you know? Yeah. 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 That kind of reminds me, first of all, I just want to say um, I'm loving this conversation. I really appreciate you both. And um, just to tell you too, I'm looking this whole time, I've been looking out the window at Lake Nipissing and the sun shimmering on the water and this big, beautiful sky. Um, it's supposed to be rainy all weekend, but the sun has come out, but everything's still wet. So it's beautiful. It's just fantastic. It looks like I'm watching like a relaxing meditation video or something. I don't know. But it's really helped me just sort of be present and listen and talk with you. And I want to just describe it, just wanted to describe it, to share it with you. Um, and to say that I'm really grateful for this conversation. I didn't know what we, like, I, I didn't know where it would go. And it, it, just before we connected, I thought, yeah, it'll just go where it needs to. Yeah. And, uh, you know, and not to feel pressure, like, well, we better cover everything because we can always talk another time. Um, but I did have one thing I did want to ask your uh, advice on. And then I also had this one question we asked at our dinner table. So if it's possible, I could take either one of those and put them on the table for us to consider. Please. Okay. So the uh, questions, I'll tell you the questions and then I'll ask you the problem and then you can decide which one you want to do. So the questions we do at the table are, we, it's a four-parter. And I do them with my kids and my husband and whoever else is eating with us. Um, and it starts with what was something bad about today? And, you know, we're not saying to complain forever about it, but it's important to acknowledge these things and to make space and sometimes to have communal, like witnessing or, you know, uh, affirmation around it. So what was something that was bad about today? Um, what was something that you might do differently or that you would try differently next time? So it's not about regret, but it still is about learning from mistakes um, and still being able to name things. Because sometimes I'll find, for example, in our family, one person says, I, I wish I could do this differently. Or if I did, I would do it this way. Maybe other people at the table actually feel like, oh, good, because I'd like them to do that differently too next time. Um, and so those are the two that you have to just like get out of the way at the beginning. Um, and then the next one is, and what's something you're proud of? And then what's something you're grateful for? And I find when we do that, it's a really nice check-in. 
Um, so I thought I'd put that out there for us because uh, we jumped right into a conversation and it's been so great and lovely, but I'd love maybe a chance to just check in. Um, but I also will tell you the other thing I was wondering about your feedback on, because it doesn't have to all come back as one answer. It's just, I'm just letting you know, this is something I'm thinking about. I have these two kids uh, who are 10 and six, who I am, uh, who I love very much. And I'm basically like their teacher too, because they do virtual school, but I'm helping them with that. So I'm really involved in their lives. I always wanted to be like progressive parent, uh, like to respect their freedom, to obviously try not to fuck them up too much um, and to just give them all the opportunities I can. And I'm so imperfect at that and that's okay. I know that's normal, but I also struggle like uh, especially now with COVID and I keep having these thoughts like, um, wanting because so why how does this connect to you well and i hear you talk about some of the challenges that you're facing around feeling insecure or feeling judged or feeling pressured i'll hear you reference your parents and how they've been sort of perpetrators of help like no judgment like you know i know but how they've been part of that you know and um so I, i'm thinking i can still remember feeling uh, I'm really lucky, very close with my parents, but also, you know, we've had our issues too. Um, so I can remember things that I didn't like when I was a kid or that were difficult or that some could even say like kind of haunted me. And uh, now I'm thinking, oh, I totally get why that happened. Or, oh, wow, they were just fallible humans. And, um, but uh, not all of them. Uh, and there's still lots of things I'm very proud of as a parent, but I guess I'm just, I, I was, I wanted to, like, if I was to really zero in on the crux of it, one of the things that I struggle with lately that kind of breaks my heart is that I have to be, um, like the enforcer sometimes about good habits or, uh, boundaries. Uh, and it makes me, I don't get to be the fun friend when I'm doing that always. I've, I try to have a light touch as much as I can. I try to be patient, I try all these things, but there's certain hard lines, certain moments where I'm just, I have to be the enforcer or I have to be the one who, who's afraid because that's my job. And it's, I, and I kind of mourn, I'd rather be fun. I'd rather, I'm a mentor for a lot of people, like in my jobs, I've worked as a mentor. It's a little bit different. You don't have to be the, like put your foot down on certain things. So I wanted to put that out there as a topic of conversation because I think in the end we end up um, kind of embodying like the parent's voice in our heads and that often can be the voice of judgment or the voice and um, you know so sometimes I catch myself and I think oh careful I don't want because I know what the voices of judgment sound like in my head I don't want to be that for my kids um, but it's like we were talking about the different colors on the paintbrush, you know, it's hard to get it right every time with this. And sometimes, you know, it's not my job actually to be their friend or to be liked all the time. Um, and if I'm sad about that, if I'm grieving that I don't get to, that's, that's okay, you know, but uh, I guess it, it's like sort of a practical advice thing that I might be asking, but I also think just topic wise, there's this bigger 
sort of archetype of just like parent and child and the voices in our heads. And like, when do we, when, when are we grown ups? What does that look like? Is that a destination? Is that um, never a destination? You know? I think um, that when I'm, that I've been coming, well, I've been coming face to face with like opposition from my parents just in the past few years. And I love my parents so much and they've like supported me in so many beautiful ways. But I think the things that they maybe did wrong have been subscribing to the culture or a subscription to like if they were gonna if they were going to tell me something or enforce a habit, I needed to know why and it's about why because a lot of the time things that my mom like one of my biggest things is uh the way that my mom talked about body and and food in such a disordered way as a reflection of her upbringing and a reflection of the culture Mm. and culture and whatever and so those things I hear her voice around those things and I know that she was wrong she was wrong about you know, herself and me and um, the way that we can be healthy. And if I had asked her, if I had had the wherewithal as a child to ask her why, you know, are you enforcing this particular habit? Like the why is what I'm coming to realize that I don't agree with what she was trying to, you know, enforce or like tell me. And so that's what that's that's what I've been coming to like be not resentful, but if, if there's anything that I mention regarding one of my parents, it's like it's because they were maybe just reinforcing something that I as as an adult with my own thoughts, I've come to realize that it's been harmful for me to hear my mom's voice talking about the food that I eat when there is actually nothing wrong and it is up to me to decide you know whatever type of type of thing Um, and it is so nuanced it's so like it's just like there's all people are always going to disagree on like what is right and what is wrong down to like Mm -hmm. the very littlest detail um and like and I thought about the ways that if, if I became a parent, like how would I want to do things differently? And there's always going to be things that I'm going to want to teach them. And it's like a matter of like, am I, am I right? Like what is, what does rightness even mean? And it's like leaving room for like, and you know, you know this, and I'm sure you do like leaving room for like, I don't know the best yeah. in this situation. So I'm not going to pretend like I do versus like a lot of things that you do want to stand for, like that, that our culture might be telling us is one way and then trying to kind of like add your opinion about what the world is also like. Um, and, and to answer your first two questions, I thought if I could, what was bad about today? Yeah. The way that I, I guess the way I've been judging myself and the way that I, show up in the way that I look thinking that just thinking that the way that I look is something that I need to fix in order to be happy and that's something that I think has been like a parental belief that I have um 
just subliminally like internalized and so I'm realizing that yeah my the way that I look is so inconsequential to like my internal world um and so that's something that I want to continue to remember every day because it's so deeply embedded from just my upbringing Mm -hmm. that I look like if my face is like a little chubbier like that really affects the the way that I see my worth and because I remember my mom talking about her feeling bloated or whatever and like how bad it would affect what she did throughout the day and so just reminding myself over and over again that the way that I feel about just what what I look like on the outside doesn't have doesn't have to dictate the way my day looks and the way that my internal world even has to look. Um, Yeah, so those things kind of are connected because it's like the things that I, the most insidious things that I learned from my parents were just a reflection of like the culture or reflection of their upbringing that was kind of corrupted. And and it's like those, those little things that I'm unlearning that still affect me to this day. And I definitely see the way that it could literally be this loving gesture from the from the parent to say, I am I feel this way about myself. I'm feeling insecure about how I look today. Mm-hmm. I personally think that, you know, eating this this week will help me potentially change or look or feel better about myself. So I then am trying to preemptively, authoritatively give you the thing that I hope will prevent you from having to deal with what I'm dealing with as the parent. Totally. And I think that that points to the exact thing. And, you know, it's, totally different for me with my parents but I think it's the difference between approaching it as I mean you know we know that classic weird fucking phrase of like do as I say not as I do (laughs) that which is like okay but I I really think it's like the authoritative elder versus parenting as a role model I, I think about mm. how it feels like in a big way, the modeling behavior, the behavior that was modeled to me was not thought about in the way that it affected me. And that it was, I was receiving these direct messages in certain aspects of life about what I should do, how I should act or whatever. But there's this whole other subtle soaking it up every moment without acknowledging it of what has been modeled for me and I think same for you that that's the stuff that I think is actually becomes more of how we are led by our parents I believe you know Mm -hmm. and so I think it actually can become more powerful the other way which is you know do as I do maybe not as I Mm -hmm. say like perhaps that can be more powerful because it's a more whole like holistic 
way of expressing knowledge, which is through action, which is expressing the wisdom through the experience of it and not through like, this is what I think I need to say because I want my kid to not to avoid this. And it can be coming from like you were talking about from an insecure place and then for a place of fear yeah a place of fear Mm -hmm. yeah Mm -hmm. so i think fear is a big part of it and because the same um the same instinct or feeling is just amplified so differently in the presence or absence of fear yeah and i i get the fear like when i mentioned like part of the job of being a mom to me feels like i'm supposed to be the one who's afraid and i don't want to be afraid but and so i resist it kind of like we were talking before about like wanting to push it into the dark but it's just part of my job like and i remember when um when my first child was a baby and a girlfriend of mine had had a baby just around the same time and we were some of the first of our friends and we were talking to each other about the experience she said okay i want to talk to you about something it's, it's kind of uncomfortable and i was like go for it she said okay I don't know if something's wrong with me or if I'm crazy, but she said, I keep imagining the most gruesome accidents happening to the baby. And it's just terrifying. And I don't know, they're really vivid and grotesque. And I was like, same thing's happening to me. I said, I think it's because we have this new person and we're supposed to keep them alive. And it's our job to notice the things that could go wrong. And the way the brain works is it just shows it to us. It's like a waking dream. It just says, Oh, they could fall off the diaper table and hit their head on that thing. So don't, you know, that that could spill and and, and hurt them or um and, and burn them. So don't put that there. And that's how, especially when it's new, because you go from one day having this baby in your in in the body and then it's they're out and suddenly they need all this care and they can everything's perilous. Um, and I do run. I am more anxious than most, or I think that way sometimes. Um, so I, I said, yeah, the same thing's happening to me. I think that's just part of our rewiring. And I struggled with that. And thankfully it wasn't, it, that was the most intense in the first few weeks because mm. it was such a transition. Um, but, and I manage it differently now, but having had gone through cancer just before and kind of only like five years before. And so I was still reacclimatizing to being in the world and, and not being as afraid as I had been then it was this new kind of fear of mother that comes with, you know, having your heart like live around outside of the world, outside of you in the world. Mm. And uh, I still struggle with it. And I, and I think there's a bit of a gender thing to it too. Um, Cause I feel like I'm a great team with my partner and, um, and yet there's just something that like as the mom, I feel like I, uh, and, and the carrier of the fear mm. <laughs> and there's a song that we used to love. We used to all play in the car and sing along to. And there was one part where it said, and let your mother worry. Um, and it was really the song. I can't remember the other lyrics, but it was basically encouraging the person to live their life and to be free and to lay, put, let their bags down and to actually let their mom worry. And it, I, I hated that and on one hand, because I was like, shit, I'm cast as the mom in this story and I don't really want to, be the one who worries um but i think i'm trying to just come into some acceptance of that that that's uh you know because i don't want i I want my children to be free too 
I don't want them to worry that I'm worried about them. Mm. Um, and so it's like, and I, I can't help but notice at the beginning of most fairy tales and stories and adventures, like the mom or the parents die. And yeah. I think that's, I think I try to think of it as it's a metaphor because that role that that like just like one day I was not a mom and then one day I was um has you grow up like as you grow like your relationship to your parents does change it's just not as dramatic but it does change and something has to die the old way it, your parents can't talk to you and treat you the way they did when you were an infant right. they can't do that as you were when you were a teenager like they it has to keep changing and something does die just like i look at old pictures of them when they're young and they're never going to be a toddler again that part and that part is gone is past and so trying to think of it metaphorically um and that so i you know they i have to let myself die from it's so i hate this talking about it because it sounds so <laughs> creepy but I could say, I have to let go of who they are as they change into who they become. Mm -hmm. And that, that is scary in itself. But I also have to let go after having control over it. And I have to let them let go so that they can do things. And I worry about it. And that's not their problem. Yeah. And I've been having so many um, spiritual awake like so many just like realizing the way in which fear plays such a role in our lives like when we are mm. living in fear our fears play out in front of us in reality and when we are living in like a state of like surrender like it's so our path unfolds in a way that feels different like to us and so mm -hmm. like I'm remembering when I was at at a waterfall in Tennessee with Wes and our friends a few, uh, I guess like a month ago or two, and they were like wanting to, to climb, two of them were wanting to climb to the top of the waterfall, Wes and Candace, and inside of me, there has been such a fear inherited. I realized like this is how generational trauma works, like the women in my family, mm. white anxious around people family members people they love dying um and like so I wanted to be like be careful don't do that mm -hmm. you know warn them all of all of the things and I realized that that wasn't because there are people apart from me because I'm autonomous they are autonomous like I have absolutely no control over what they choose to do in this moment and, like, even talking it over afterwards, so I kind of just, like, shut my mouth and surrendered to what they were going to choose to do. And they were fine, and it was fun, and it was beautiful. And afterward, I just saying, to, like, Candace said to me that, like, if I had told them to be careful, that triggers a, a response in Candace from, from their mom. That's, that's like, oh, I'll show you. I'll do the thing that's even a little bit more risky just to prove to you that mm. I'm... So it's almost like when we react from our fear, we create that 
reality almost like in trying to control someone who is outside of us who is outside of our autonomy we are we are corrupting that and of course with you when you have children it's like you have to take care of them when they're babies so like how does that dynamic change like as they become more and more autonomous on their own I don't know I've never been a parent but it's something that my mom and I are grappling with like in our relationship right now as I'm 25 and she realizes that like the more she warns me of something the worse our relationship feels because I'm like I I don't need you to worry for me anymore and I know that she doesn't have very much control over that but it is really just letting go she's learning more and more to just be a loving force for me a loving mother who is there for me um without feeling like she has to warn me of every fear she has because I'm now just coming to realize just like spiritually like that's not I have to have my own experiences I have to have my own even if she does warn me of something, I'm still going to be like, she warned me about premarital sex, like a bunch. And I'm still someone who, who ha- I needed to know what sex was like. And so I needed mm. to, to like have my own autonomy in that, in that, you know, and she could warn me about it as much as she wanted, but it's like, I was still going to make my own choices and follow my own intuition on it. Um, yeah. That's so interesting. Yeah. And I, I, I just thank you so much for sharing that both of you. And um, I, I like I, this idea of fear and judgment. It's not just the parent child relationship. Like you just described like having that with your friends. I think for me and my partner, one of the things that I, I'm always trying to work on is how to be present and honor his judgments or critiques while also not letting them derail me from my right path. You know, like so many of the times when he's been cautious or fearful or somewhat judgmental about something, it doesn't help me in the time. And yet the core of it sometimes spurs me in the right direction. And I'll later go, yeah, you were right about that or that but it didn't feel good at the time. And I, it didn't actually feel motivating at the time either. So I'm trying to figure out like how I can hold space for it, but not be derailed um, mm-hmm. by it. And it's like, as I think about myself struggling to do that, then I'm also in this parent role where I, I and there's a power dynamic too. Um, and it's, it's hard, it's hard to get it right. And in the end, I try to hope that and I think this is partly why like you look at our body it's not meant to never get hurt it's meant to heal oh yeah mm-hmm. and so hopefully our relationships are like that too and that you know as long as the ability like focus on the ability to repair uh, and return to like feeling regulated and and then that's like that's the most if I can put the energy into that uh, and then maybe just try to like sit and meditate. <laughs> I keep coming back to this, like, and just with the fear and some of those feelings so that they're not, 
coming out in the moment. Like when I, I did my training um, in education, I got a master's in holistic education. And one of my professors who I adore, um, and I wanted to work with him because I could tell he was just a healthy, good person to be around, as well as being really, having really great ideas. And one of the things he got us to do as part of our coursework was meditate every day and journal about it. And his reasoning was that teachers, you know, need to not react to students who are having trouble, who are, you know, when, when, it, when someone's acting rude or misbehaving, I say in quotes, like that's because of something. And right. if you cannot react to it and just notice it and be curious and be supportive, then usually it's, it's much like you'll have a better chance of helping to diffuse it. Um, and so, yeah, like I always thought that was such a good approach and he's done that with so many educators actually over the years. Um, but it's the same for all our relationships. Um, yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. How about you, Wes? What was hard about today? <laughs> mm. Well, um, I know I put you on the spot. <laughs> uh, yeah, I think interesting i for the first time in a very long time was up super late playing video games until like 2 a.m really yeah. i went to sleep at 10 <laughs> and i could just see even as before right when i was going to bed but you were on an adventure yeah and i guess it was like, it's a very interesting relationship to pleasure in a way that reminded me of how I, in years past, it was very normal for me to be in a consuming some type of media and knowing that there was something I you know my morning where I need to be rested to go to work or have a podcast or do anything and that I used to be so dreading this thing that I would like and there's this there's a phrase for it that I learned a while back that I can't remember but it was like like just wanting to use up all this time and to be like, well, if I go to bed now, then I just wake up and have to do yeah. tomorrow. Yeah. But if I stay up for another four hours, even though I'll be really tired and tomorrow might be a little bit harder, that's for tomorrow, West to I deal get to with. Squeeze the pleasure. I want to squeeze moment. it. I'm here, and like, I could choose to not go to bed at all if I wanted, and I guess. I mean, I don't think I'm answering the question, but I, I'm so glad to know that I'm 
changing the way that I that I prepare or uh, you know project into the future my excitement or fear or anxiety about something and and doing a whole lot less of of trying to distract myself, numb myself, soak in pleasure. And instead, it's easier now for me to see. And this was just a reminder that it's okay to stay up late if that's what feels right and I'm having fun. I was always having this shame spiral. That would keep you in the game. It would keep me in the game and it would keep me, you know, wanting to stay up late the next night because I'm already tired and and it's like never wanting to give myself something because it felt like all the things I have to do suck and everything I want to do I have to squeeze it out this is your free time and yeah like I want more free time more free time like Mm -hmm. and I just feel a closer relationship to my time where it's not about free time and, you know, what's the opposite of free time? Like obligations. Cost, and I think, that costs me something. You know? Can I just say that it's like you are in a part of your life now where you are not, you are not obligated to anything that you don't choose for yourself now. So there is no job that you have to go do that you yeah. had to go do today. There was, it was a Saturday night. So how did that feel for you to like, I'm getting the sense that it didn't feel like you were like playing until late in the night because you had to do something tomorrow that you were avoiding and you just wanted to soak up. It feels like a completely different relationship in which you were like, I found this like new fun world that like, I'm just like, I'm like, time is just kind of like floating away from me because I'm like enjoying this like new fun world on this Saturday night. And tomorrow I get to like do whatever I want to do tomorrow as well. And then like in the, like tomorrow night I get to play too or whatever. It feels like a different type of relationship yeah. because um, I don't really, it's like because it was, it's almost like more of an active choice for you to be like, I'm going to really enjoy being in this video game world right now. And like, just be you were very present in that video game world and yet i do remember a lot of moments where you are asleep and i was feeling shame mm-hmm. i was feeling like she's probably annoyed that i'm not in bed with her no. and then i'm like i turned off everything at like midnight and then i was like oh wait lane is asleep i actually still want to play this <laughs> so i allowed myself and, and, and it allowed myself to almost like give in to that and, and start doing the thing that I felt shame about. Crap, I've like been owning it. too long. Eating and the then, french fries. And then being able to them. stop myself, which reminds me of exactly what I was, what I was telling to you on our last episode, Carly. Mm-hmm. The way that becoming closer and more familiar with like giving myself the space to unload lots of my days musings and experiences and things I've learned and how the podcast has helped me find and 
write down and stick to some of those things and not just let them float away into the ether of my memory, whatever. And that I could actually do a similar thing, which was to stop, look at my like shame programming and how previous similar occasions were this fear, shame, I'm not being good, I'm being bad, and all of that stuff used to be how I was driving my decisions. And then I stopped and interrupted that thought pattern and was able to make a different decision that was actually based on what I wanted in the moment. Woo! Mm -hmm. Yeah. Shame tamers. Yeah. And I do have to say, Carly, we do have to go here in a few minutes. So, um, yeah, this has been amazing. Uh, yeah. <laughs> yeah, it's very, like, grounding for me. It's brought me back to, like, where I want to be in relating to people. Because I feel like I've been very living in my little dark shame spot of, like, where I can gratify whatever type of I don't know but now I'm like oh okay I can I can be here and like look out the window and be in this sun-soaked beautiful room and talk to people I want to connect with um remembering what it feels like to show up without like all the masks and stuff it's energizing rather than like draining yeah well I feel so lucky to have been able to take this time with you both and i really enjoyed this conversation and i look forward to whatever conversations or interactions you have down the road i know there will be they will be there and i just wish you both well in your journeys and i want like a, a kind of closing thought that comes to me when you were just talking about things just now wes yeah um you know i'm a night owl and i think has a, when I became a parent, it became almost more um, ingrained for me because it's like once the children are finally asleep and because right. they're my kids, they're also night owls, especially the oldest. Like he always wants to talk about life and meaning of everything. And it's, it keeps us up because it's so interesting. <laughs> but once they're finally asleep, then I want to sort of steal back hours from the day for myself. And sometimes that's healthy. Sometimes it's not. I definitely know what you mean about the shame feeling popping up. And I think what really came to me when you were talking about it is just that if we can just start from being curious about ourselves, just instead of judging, just being curious when shame comes up. And because sometimes shame is a message to us that something we're doing is, isn't healthy or isn't good or could hurt somebody. Yeah. But sometimes it's actually coming up telling us you need to rebel on this because this is what's good for you and the world's making you feel bad about it yeah. push back on this and those are two really different things and to really notice the difference i think we just to, like let's just trust ourselves that if we notice more often and just tune in and go oh i'm feeling shame or oh i'm feeling that like just noticing i think it will start to sort of regulate itself almost like if you try to balance on one foot and you start to lean a little too far one way, 
you notice that and then you start to counterbalance and lean the other way and you don't really have to think it through it just your body just balances you out yeah. once you start noticing so if we just say okay i don't have to be the expert i don't have to measure i don't have to name i don't have to know i just have to flow but notice myself in the flow sometimes and and if we notice ourselves with judgment it usually interrupts the flow so if we can notice ourselves with curiosity just taking it in we'll start to get the right balance i really believe in that i'm going to try to work on it and uh just sending much love to you both and hope you have a good rest of your day i'm really glad i spent my time today with you oh, me too me too and that, and that's just so perfect because it's like all we're doing is noticing and yet we can come to it like you just said with curiosity or with judgment and like that subtle difference and even back to what you said how how can we sometimes even step into that arena or get closer or become slightly more familiarized with that in meditation just mm -hmm. Like that space truly is going to help us be able to say, oh, let's be curious. Oh, there's my judgment. Let's tame this judgment. I don't need that here right now. And sometimes we don't even have to follow it or break it down. We can just pause and open into curiosity instead because mm -hmm. holy crap. I'm curious about everything inside me. What a glorious place to explore. Yes. And, you know, and it's, it's curiosity. And I think, Lane, you're talking about, like, physical appearance and um, makes me think of acceptance. And what came up in your previous podcast, Wes, with this high-fiving yourself in the mirror, like, I think it's also just accepting and, you know, like instead of having to match up to some kind of ideal that exists just noticing what's there that's great um instead of measuring it against something okay. well um yeah i think I, I just i know i already said thanks but thank you and i wanted just to for the listener whoever is listening to this to also wish them well in their next steps and thanks for joining with us. Uh, you were very present with us. Um, even if we weren't talking directly to you, we knew you were here and we're glad you were here. Yeah. Thank you. Awesome. awesome. So did you ever come up with a new ending? I can't remember if it's uh, never here's stop learning. <laughs> yeah, here's, here's, what I, here's what I have is threefold, three steps to close. Okay. And, and I'm gonna have you both uh, take turns to end Whoa. uh three okay. steps one much love send love to each other and the listeners two never stop learning and and you say these verbatim by the way uh yeah. and three is a super short nugget of wisdom for the listener whoa mm. so i mean we've already been wisdom nuggeting all episode but yeah, a closing, a closing well wish, nugget of wisdom, whatever. So, Lane, would you like to go first? Yeah. Do I have to say much love, never stop learning, and then? <laughs> yeah, learn? yeah. Okay. Yeah. Hey, everybody. Much love to you. Never stop learning.
Be still and listen. Thank you. <laughs> Hello, sweet listeners, and Wes and Lane. Much love. Thank you. Take care, care. And remember, if you ever feel really stuck in like a problem, a capital P problem, and you don't know what to do, you could play. It might seem like, might seem like, why would I play when things are stressful and things are hard? Play is the way. You have a lot of creativity in you. So you can always remember in those tough times, be playful, even if it's just making a funny sound or flipping something around, just, you know, put your hat on funny, do something playful and it might help you out. Hmm. Never stop learning. I know I said it in the wrong order. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you so much. Play is the way. Be still and listen. Thank you once again, Carly Stasco and Lane Watts. This is our first, uh, the first triple trio episode, and it was wonderful. Oh, I feel honored. Bye, guys. Take care. Bye. Bye. Fading out, fading in. I'm always reaching for the next moment Fading out, fading in Fading into existence All my mind is on the highway I'll take to get somewhere else tomorrow I like to look instead At the place where I am Fade in and fade out Likely I'm feeling like I'm on the downhill But you could not be proud I look at you and you've been looking down Fade in, fade out You don't always really have to count All of your achievements I've been looking for the reason To fade in and fade out this life really count Fade in, fade out I'm finally, finally, finally Finally showing up in a way that I'm proud I used to feel some type of way I felt like life was on delay Like I was waiting for someone else to say Here you go Here's the life you've dreamed here you go, right into my lap. Here you go. Yeah, right. Here you go, baby. Here you go. Fade in and fade out. I've been feeling like I want my life to really count. Fade in and fade out. I've been searching for a reason to look into your eyes. Fade in and fade out. I'm gonna make my life really count Fade in and fade out This love is overflowing, can you feel it now? Fade in and fade out My love, can you see it? It's strong and I'm learning how Fade in and fade out Fade in and fade out So... I believe in you that we are the ones we were meant to find right here in this moment. Fade in, fade out. 
comes back around, go easy on yourself. It's gonna be okay. Wow, 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 wow.